In a world where coaches are still the main characters, the players are now legally chasing the ultimate bag, and the game of basketball is always the top priority, there is only one brand you can trust to help you wade through all the madness. Hey, I'm Tate Frazier from One Shining Podcast, and you can join me twice a week as we navigate the always entertaining world of college basketball. Every Monday, The Ringer's Kyle Mann helps me make sense of the biggest stories from the weekend. And on Fridays, we talk to our many friends of the program. We're locked in on the best postseason in sports. Make sure you follow One Shining Podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan, and I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me in the studio, this is why we can't detect true things, it's Andy Greenwald! That was a nice one. It's Wellness Week, baby. <laughs> and you're celebrating in a weird way. And nothing makes me feel more well than talking about true detective discourse. Yeah, and so right. Andy and I have summoned Kaya. That Kaya was down to do this. I mean, she was like, let's let's rock and roll down at the studio. So here we are with a watch episode about the sort of conversation that mm-hmm. has sprung out after uh, True Detective Night Country. We're also going to talk about Madam Webb, which is something <laughs> that Andy and I went and saw together we um, did. the other day. And we're going to talk about Monsieur Spade the last few episodes, including the finale, our long-awaited farewell to that beloved show. So, Andy? Also, we've been watching some other stuff. We're going to hit some other things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I first, have. But first, we have to talk. We have to talk about you. Okay. Yeah. So, Kai and I got here today, and you had a little pep in your step. You got a little... Well, can we just actually, yeah. for full transparency, yeah. you said... Oh, here we... Look, this is... This is everyone listen to how this is going to go. At 9.45, you were like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be I'm gonna be there soon. It was if 10 you're 06. feeling frisky. 10.06. And I was like, well, my my partner has summoned me, and, and I, I want to be there for him. So Second I, use of summoned in the pod. I rushed uh-huh. out the door. I barely had time to say goodbye to my wife. <laughs> and I drove down here. Do you think she's going to be mad? And, and, and then I was like, here... No, no, you weren't. Well, you I were arrived silent. as soon as I was pulling into the drive, the parking lot. You were like, "I'm on a call." 
It was five minutes more then. <laughs> I thought you made it seem, first of all, you made it seem like you had been here for hours. Second, first thing I said when I saw you was, you look wonderful in earth tones. I know. I love you in color. And you asked me what my sto- my, my color story is, basically, right? Or my yeah. season. What is what is that? Kaya, do you know about that? Seasons? I can't get away from it on TikTok. Yeah, everybody's oh. like, I'm going to get my color analysis done. I'm a clear winter. Clear winter? Like, uh, clearly I'm a, I'm I am winter. winter or like… I don't know. Then there's like bright winter, and then there's oh. like soft spring. I think my oh. I think my 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 like features color story is like New York asphalt with <laughs> snow and slush on it. I like think that's I'm, my I'm color depressive story. autumn. Yeah. No, you still have some burnished gold. Yeah, a little. You got yeah, some. Yeah, like there's just like the last days of the harvest are still there. You know. <laughs> wait, um, Kai, wait, Kai. What are you? Oh, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't analyzed. You're not myself. a winter. Okay. I just I, speaking for winters everywhere. Maybe like a fall. I don't know. Early fall. Early fall. <laughs> he said staring at Chris. Like an Indian summer situation. Um, but yeah, here we are. Uh, Grewal, how are you? You're you're stalling. I'm great. Many people who have been listening to this podcast for a long time are aware that I have a relationship <laughs> with nicotine an that goes back to 2003. Uh, much like Madam Web does. Um, That's when Madam Web is set. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you think that was the inciting event? <laughs> no, I think it goes back... It's pre nine eleven. I started smoking bef- like in in Boston. Yeah, so. because if if I'm sure many of our listeners have have seen Madam Web, if they had brought in the D story of you lighting up your first cig, and then you were responsible for igniting the fireworks factory at the end of that movie. Okay, go on. So you had your first right, but you really. It really became like a two-hander, like a like a classic stage play. It be, well, you I mean, New York Six. City was just a beautiful place to live at that time. And mm-hmm. like you were able to smoke indoors. You were able to smoke anywhere you wanted pretty much. So I have had a long-term relationship with cigarettes. And and then since I moved to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, as, as I've maybe mentioned before, I thought when I moved out here, I would have a smoking buddy in David Jacoby. The day right. I showed up, David Jacoby went, oh, I quit. This is classic David Jacoby. Uh, so, because it was, I didn't want to feel like a social outcast, I started using nicotine replacement therapies. Wait, it, so you were still just 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 grabbing darts when you moved here? I was starting to use gum before I moved yeah, here you, with the anticipation that nobody smokes in LA. You were ratcheting it down. And then uh, I... Uh, By the way, which is funny because no one smokes more than actors. Oh, I know. I know. So, I know. Um, But I was like... Okay, like I got, I got to you know switch to gum. Gum gave like, me some jaw problems after a while. Switched to like lozenges. They were right. Went to the patch, which we both know has has ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, finally landed at Mints, where I've been happy for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But felt like I was like, you know, I was getting a lot of advertising and Instagram for this, <laughs> albeit subconscious. I felt like it's out there. The Zin uh-huh. Pouch Revolution. Dudes seem like they're getting a lot done on Zin pouches. You know, like guys are taking Zin pouches before they work out. They take Zin pouches before they start day trading. They take Zin pouches before they start podcasting. Can I describe what I think this is? Yeah. It's from the way that you've talked about it. And I've never seen it. This is not advertising for Zin. I'm just talking about my personal. You fucking wish it was. No, you talk about this. What I'm picturing is a small bag full of needles, each of which. Is dipped in nicotine. Well, this is all leading up to the fact that this is a new segment on our podcast. I was podcast. thinking about doing the True Detective segment while I had a Zin in. This now, is a new section for our podcast that we're going to take some, we're, we can workshop. I was thinking this should be called It's a Zin because that was a show that we really liked a few years ago. It, it, remember on HBO? Oh, it's a Zin. Yeah. Was that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. We, we, could, we, we, could, we could nod to Drops of God and it could be more like a nice oaky Zin. Yeah. Drop or Drops of Zin. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, 
you know, uh, the, the Zin Town, the zone of Zintrist, Zin Detective. I think would be would be Zin Detective. What are we doing, Casey? But the Zin Eaters. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, okay. Any, any, all right. So I'm not, I don't know if I want to do it anyway. So like the other night you, you I showed it to me. Yeah. So he has some, I'm going to put this on Instagram. Do you see this smiling pouch, guy? And then you just put it up in here. And it just sits there yeah, and just, just delivers a higher dose than you're used it's to. It's not even that high dose. It says it has nicotine salt, which I don't know what that is. And <laughs> the salt. other night I had one in. Kai is laughing so And I hard started right like 19 different text threads <laughs> in 45 seconds. Did I get any of those? Yeah. Some, you know, and, um, my buddy, our buddy Craig Horlbeck, who produces the Rewatchables and we work with, I mentioned to him that I'd, mm-hmm. I'd made the move and he sent me a, a video from Twitter of a skeleton being hit by what looks like a missile. And the, the caption is, me after a six milligram Zin and three light beers. <laughs> and you, and this is what, this is who Chris is. This, I think the CR heads will appreciate this. When he sent that to you, you were like, now you have my attention. Well, I was just like, this seems like an experience I'd like to have. What's this guy's backstory? What's his trauma? <laughs> so, okay. So full disclosure, you are not on this now. Uh-huh. No, no, I'm not. But we can have special segments going forward in the podcast that are zones of interest. I like that one best. So we're going to revisit. I, but... As long as you you call it that, and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh do, you, do you think half of you can say that? Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the movie. Is it fun? <laughs> um, but yeah, I was thinking about making that move. You know, um... Now that we have all that Zin talk out of the way, after now we've had a nice glass of Zin. Uh huh. You wanted to talk about the true detective discourse. And that surprised you. I well, I just think sometimes like you seem like more like this sort of online toxicity is not something that needs more oxygen. Right. I think it's been pretty sad. Uh, you know, this is obviously, regardless of the fact that you and I had like some issues with the way the show mm-hmm. wrapped up, pretty triumphant um, commercial success for Issa Lopez and for Max and everything. We just got news as we were sitting down that there is going to be another season of True Detective. Yes, uh, helmed by Issa Lopez. So that's that's definitely like and hel- it, helmed, like written and directed by. Yes. So um, clearly, they have like a partner they really believe in, and they mm-hmm. they really are into the places that she is taking this show. Nick Pizzolatto was not. So early on in the season's run. Nick Pizzolatto on Instagram started kind of chirping about like, this is stupid. I wouldn't have done this. Mm -hmm. I think he was refuting the idea that Matthew McConaughey was going to show up in the show. It's just kind of like taking shots. He is accredited executive producer, as you'd expect, since he created the show and sort of ran the first three seasons. But in general, like was not a a exactly um, benevolent um, partner in this. Uh, As the season went on, I, I didn't really follow very much, but during the finale or after the finale, which granted was divisive. Yes, we were. We didn't like it very um, much. Pizzolatto was spending the evening more or less reposting screeds about how much it sucked by it, other people. Yes, other people's screeds were being broadcast on his Instagram stories. Yes. Uh, and then um, I think yesterday he put up a post. It was a picture of himself and said uh, that he was putting this post up as a clearinghouse, this is not a quote, but a clearinghouse for debate and criticism of the show. And then this is a quote. I'd say stay civil, but of course civility has no place when criticism of a television show indicates some form of Hitlerian evil that must be stamped out. So roll on tide, satire is welcome, and do try to have a nice day. Wow. Callie Reese has responded by being like, "That's, that's a tough beat shitting on the new wave. Um, 
I would note that while Mick is obviously feels possessive over True Detective, which is something that he created and wrote, uh, he also does rewrite or you know he works in IP himself and is currently working on a Magnificent Seven television show, which is based on the movie Magnificent Seven that he wrote. Which yes. is based on John Sturgis's Magnificent Seven, which is based on Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Have you looked at Kurosawa's IG stories recently? <laughs> <laughs> he is pissed. Pissed. Yeah, he's like Roll Tide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a Michigan man, I think. No, he's like War Damn Eagle. <laughs> Kurosawa's really into Auburn. <laughs> um... Well, I think Isa's handled this really gracefully. Let me say that. Wildly um, so. She, she a few weeks ago, gave a, a very thoughtful, generous quote yeah. um, saying that, you know, that this was, she's a big fan of the show or else she wouldn't have engaged in it on any level. Um, if there are references, they are, you know, in her mind, tributes, the spirit of the show that Nick made and the, the template that he laid. I think this is a tough one. I think that broadly, it all sucks. I don't mean the TV show. I just mean that the way that we reductively end up talking about TV shows, the way that that conversation ends up getting covered and aggregated and diluted down and down and down until everything is just a miserable binary that has nothing to do with the actual artistic intention of anybody involved. I think the Pizzolatto piece of it, you know, I, I'm, I think it's pretty classless. Mm -hmm. I think that um, every single person who's creative in the world, let alone in this town, uh, feels very, very strongly about their work. feels very, very protective. And if we're going to be very honest, feels very competitive. Like, no one is meaner about other people's shit than people who are in the same industry. That's true in any industry. But, you know, I, I think particularly in this case... I'm that, I'm that way about Ben Solak. I, I didn't you know. know we were going to go there. Yeah. I think... Uh, he's getting checks from every episode of this they make. Now, I'm not saying that those are like hush money... They don't take away his... I, he does seem to be veering close to some, like, Bill Maher pronouncements about what you can and cannot say anymore. Yes. Um, I believe that he has thrown around the phrase fake news a couple of times. He can say whatever he wants. No one's stopping him. Um, but he could also have his name taken off of it. He mm -hmm. could also refuse the, I don't know, $50,000 per episode fee he gets. Um, that's I'd, a guess. That's a guess. I have yeah. no idea. It could be more. It could be less. But... This is the same reason that that Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey get. I mean, they are EPs on the show True Detective, so as long as this franchise keeps running, they're getting passive income from yeah. it. Um, again, doesn't take away their right to say whatever they want, but it just seems a little churlish. Um, you can make a bigger stand by just walking away from the whole thing if you're so inclined to do so. Um, I found that this one to be particularly tough in ways that I hadn't felt since actually being a day-to-day -day in the trenches critic, which oh. was something that I was getting a little sick of in terms of the online expression of it in 2015. And what I mean by that is, I, I know that I'm, I, I don't, I, you said something about giving things more oxygen. I think that was a good point because I think that the majority of people, hopefully who listen to this are of good faith and can understand that more than one thing could be true at the same time. But I was largely bummed out that, to, that, that it's increasingly difficult to be critical Hopefully, hopefully, in a fair-minded and and generously spirited way about something, while also believing in the larger project, also believing in the artistic capabilities and potential of people like Issa Lopez, while also believing that telling stories from a female or um, indigenous perspective, in this case, is enormously valuable. Yep, all of these things can be true, 
And what I hope we can do in, on podcasts like this one is try and articulate that. You know, I, I, again, I don't want to sound aggrieved because no one's shutting us down either. Nobody is putting words in our mouth. Yeah. But but I but I was bummed about. I understand. I don't live. I'm not coming down from my mountain to look at the internet and being like, "Wow, such rough talk." Like I understand that all things become this binary now. But I, I I'm thrilled that Issa Lopez got to make a True Detective. It's exciting. She'll get to make another one. I didn't think the show worked for me. Right. I think there were specific things that caused it not to work. But you don't have to reiterate. I re- I read your comments on Nick's Instagram post. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but now you know my finsta. I have a couple of takes on this. Mm-hmm. One is uh, I have been trying to unpack what makes this show such a lightning rod. Yes, great, um, great. So it's been this way since ten years ago. I think a lot of that stuff in the beginning had to do with the pseudo philosophical hyper masculine barroom nihilism of Russ Cole and mm-hmm. the character. Um, I think it also, not unlike the podcast serial, not unlike a, several other, not unlike, I guess, lost to some extent, but there were a few kind of like major pop cultural events over the last 20 years that kind of created a fandom that left Earth and, and the it left the sort of the station that was the show or the podcast or the movie or whatever. And the discourse around that show just became almost completely detached from mm-hmm. what was actually on screen. Now, that first season of True Detective, I was I was in on that discussion pretty hard. Like I thought mm-hmm. that there were secrets in in the stars that you could like unpack and if you just stared at them hard enough. And to some extent I got lost in that again in three because I thought three was so especially the opening episodes of three and some of the Lovecraft stuff that was coming back in. I was like, this is so cool. Cause there's basically like a whole other experience of this show that you can have that is about reading about stuff that the show is lightly referencing. Right. Yeah. I, for, um, for, for his, you know, I, I've been a longtime critic of Nick Pizzolatto's work for the screen and some of his work on Instagram, but there is no question that he is well-read, seen a lot of movies has very strong opinions about these right. things and integrates them into his work in a way that the best people do. My point is more that once stuff really leaves the text, like mm-hmm. once the conversation about the text like, kind of leaves tracks. the text, yeah. it's not really a conversation about the show anymore. That's true. And so for this discourse or whatever you want to say about it to like kind of replicate itself in this particular way is like really kind of predictable, but also sad. Um, because it's about whether or not Isa Lopez has like quote unquote the right to tell mm-hmm. this story, which I think is obviously animating a lot of the hostility towards it. I also think that like, frankly, like this seems like it was maybe bound to happen. You know, like it's not Batman. Like it's not something that like dozens of people have tried their hand on. So I kind of feel bad for Isa Lopez because she just made the show that she wanted to make and it did did the best job of it she could. And this is now kind of become... I'm glad that they announced season five because that at least changes the story a little bit. It's kind of like turns the yeah. page. And, and the ratings were very good. You know, I, a, lo- a lot of this, I think we should always be careful when we when we have conversations like this. I would imagine the vast majority of the millions of people who watched uh, True Detective Night Country and liked it or didn't like it were like, oh, it's an interesting show. Yeah. They are not arguing over whether Cthulhu should have been a major character or if... Uh, the science, the male scientists were given short shrift for their character development, and whether that's a justifiable thing or not. I don't, yeah. I don't think that's the conversation. I think there's something. The reason I brought like that kind of whole thing up about the idea of the show kind of having a, a, a extra textual reading, or mm-hmm. like maybe like a, a secondary kind of existence in both online and like people talking about it, 
is that I think that's what creates the high expectations and the severe levels of uh, anger about like the way things wind up. Because like, um, I know plenty of people who really hated the way season one ended because it didn't quite yes. live up to the ethos of the rest of the season. You know, Rust's kind of vision of the world is refuted when he's just like, turns out if I look at the sky, like I'm pretty happy about being alive and everything. Did he read, look at that same Instagram influencer you did about getting the sun every morning? <laughs> yeah, Huberman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think actually in some ways the, the end of the third season is perhaps the most true to the worldview of Nick Pizzolatto, mm-hmm. which is this guy, you know, disappearing back into the jungle of his own memory. The other thing I was going to say is that... Uh, this is kind of what happens when every single person is a celebrity. I did not know who Steven Bochco was when I was a kid. You know? You like, only knew who Steven J. Cannell was who, because of that jaunty thing at the end when he flipped the paper out of his typewriter. But, like, he was not... I didn't know... Like, I barely knew who Damon was when Lost was on. Yeah. You know, and the sort of public-facing, constantly-online version of creators, I think, does a lot to promote work that ordinarily might have been ignored, but also has consequences where it gets, it's not about the show anymore. It's about whether you like this guy or you like this And their politics and their point of view. Right. Right. And then it becomes like, well, we're not really talking about a TV show that had like a kind of clunky ending, but was really cool to me. You know what I mean? Like for the most part. I think that's a great point. I also think our hyperactive way of covering everything to death is obscuring the fact that A, it's really hard to make things. B, no things are perfect. B, C, most things are barely good. Yeah. You know, and and your mileage may vary on what good means to you, what you're looking for out of certain shows, what, what collection of pros outweigh what collection of cons. But th- that's something that I think we get away from in, I mean, we were spoiled over the last decade in terms of a lot of the programs that we love, but also with the heightened focus on an event series, a six-episode event, an eight-episode experience, um, that's an enormous amount of pressure for things, as we've been saying continually, are still broadly made in the same way TV's been made Mm -hmm. for decades, which is by the seat of its fucking pants. So that's obscured things too, and it's made it harder for us to, and, and harder, I think, for audience members, and then we have our challenges with it too, with something like Night Country, which you and I think we're both, to varying degrees, very bullish on and excited by for the first three episodes. And then again, slightly different paces, more disappointed by the the back half of it. Yeah. I, I do want to be careful of falling down the 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 rabbit hole into the larger thing, which is just my my war on the internet. And like because that's just that's lost. We've lost that battle. You definitely have lost but that. I lost a long time ago. I'm winning it. <laughs> <laughs> All I get from the internet is health tips. Yeah. <laughs> And you have, you know, you have multiple message boards devoted no, to your heroism. That's not what I meant. Yeah. That's true also. Um, you know, I did see, you know, we have a, we have a, a Facebook group that, that, that supposedly, you know, engages with our podcast or just talks about, supposedly is the wrong word, they do engage with the podcast, but they're also just fans of culture, maybe to the same degree that we are. And I saw, I, I, I look at it less and less because it, the debate is the internet, you know? And like, I saw one one nice person be like, I-, I feel like those scientists were not well sketched out as characters. Uh-huh. And then a lot of the responses were essentially, you think men weren't, weren't well-drawn characters in a show about women? Cry more. And I was like, why not both? Why sure. not both? Yeah. That would be ideal. Yeah. I understand why people would be knee-jerk reflexive because if you don't I'll have many this, shows. I don't think that that's why 
I don't think that that is, if you felt that, mm. I don't think that was Issa Lopez's intent, was to be like, cry more. I intentionally I made these scientists ciphers. Exactly. And do we have, you know, I don't know, ballpark, like one to two years to make up for the disparity in storytelling for a couple hundred years? Yeah, I feel like we'll get it done. Then yep. it's back to guys' stuff. Well, it's, right? we'll pod through it. Yeah, we'll pod through it. No, I... That's, AI versions of our frozen brains. <laughs> jokes, jokes, <laughs> jokes aside, like you, Kaya retired somewhere in Montecito. <laughs> the goal isn't scorekeeping. The goal is making the best things possible. Yeah. And I deeply believe doing the best, telling the best stories possible, is telling, um, telling the most stories possible in the most diverse and surprising and interesting ways. Um, but all of this comes back to the point, which is, I, I, I don't like, I don't like the larger noise. I think that. True Detective Night Country was an interesting exercise that I think might lead to something better in, in a future season. Um, a lot of it was good. Some of it was mid. Some of it was frustrating. But I, I just don't think it... I, I just reject the idea that this is somehow... You have to be on the side of Nick Pizzolatto or the side of the League of Women Voters. I, I just... I don't think that's the story here. Yeah. Um, what should we do next? What do you I, want to talk about now? I'm regretting taking that Zen pouch. <laughs> I feel weird. (laughs) I actually, you're so pure. I don't know what it would do to you. I think we all know what it would do to me. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. 
Do you want to talk about Madam Web? Uh, let's do it. Before we get to that, let's do a quick, like, I want to do a rundown of what you've been watching. Okay. Um, Madam Web. Yeah. I, I sat there with you. <laughs> no, every day I go back. You go back? I sit in the same seat. <laughs> is, it like, to... is it like penance? Uh, now I go see it with bandages over my eyes yes. so that I can just feel it. Yeah. I go wearing Pre-cog- a knockoff Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work, but it just helps me feel... Um, uh, yeah, well, let's let's because we haven't recorded since last like Thursday or Friday when we recorded our True Detective finale podcast. So right. in the meantime, I've mm-hmm. tried to kind of catch up on some stuff, get ahead of some stuff. I, I will say the I think the embargo is lifted, so I will say I'm I'm very excited for Shogun. Uh, That's know, next week. Uh, it's next Wednesday, mm-hmm. I think. And I know Rob and Joanne are going to be covering that on Prestige TV Pod, but I I really uh, can't wait to talk to you about it because uh, it's it's pretty thrilling. Um, That's exciting. I, it's, this has been. Uh, something that you know, I think has been in the works for a long time. I think that they, long time. I don't know whether COVID slowed down the release or anything, but whatever extra time they took to dial this thing in mm-hmm. um, is just, you can see it on screen. That's exciting. Um, and let me tell you something. Mm. Your Nestor Carbonell stock is about to hit. Wow. Yeah. That is at the bottom of my drawer. I have an envelope from a bank that I don't think exists anymore. Yeah. Letting me know that my transaction went through. From PSFS? Yeah. <laughs> from from uh, Fidelity Bank in Philadelphia. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I purchased a few shares of Carbonell stock. I remember I was, I, I was, I was, I was a little exposed in the Carbonell market. And then like around the lat- last few seasons of Lost, I went all in. Yeah. And it, and it, did you feel like your stock survived the morning show rally? Um, well, I, what I do is I just filter out the noise. You know what I mean? <laughs> I take the long obviously. view. I take the long view, says the guy who learned he was on the morning show. So I was. I checked out the first now. two episodes of Shogun, which come out next week, and I will say that I am. Uh, I'm still watching Masters of the Air, um, mm-hmm. for out of tribute to the Greatest Generation. Uh, after three hours of of bombing runs where nobody we know dies, <laughs> and they always land the planes, mm-hmm. we have finally gotten some plot. Um, we got one guy caught behind Belgian enemy lines. He's being chased by Nazis, obviously. Oh, I was like, Belgium but in Bel- nice. Occupied Belgium. Uh, and occupied with delicious fries. I gotta say, man, this is the same thing for Spade. I just love dudes riding bicycles uh, on the in the European countryside. So I'm, I'm actually, Masters of the Air is still like a little wooden for me. Uh, I was flipping through the Donald Miller book it's based on and I was like, man, there's a bunch of details in this that already just like kind of skimming through it. I wish kind of showed up. But I'm, it's growing on me a little bit. Um, and we, you know, I, 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 know that I'm, I know you haven't watched it. I haven't I, gotten into it so much because I turned it on thinking it was the sequel series to Masters of Sex. Yeah. And I was like, I can't wait to see how they've iterated. Metaphorically, perhaps it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, what about you? Anything you've been imbibing in? You enjoying people riding bicycles in the European countryside is why you're going to now share your thoughts on the Daryl Dixon <laughs> season one finale, right? That was like months ago. I just figure you've been sitting on it. Yeah, I mean, I could waste everyone's time and be like, I took my children to see a screening of the Lindsay Lohan version of The Parent Trap. Oh, that's nice. She's amazing in that movie. Is that, Kai, is that, is that hit for you? Did you see that movie back in the day? Oh my God, only like a hundred times. I think that's one of the movies we had on DVD. When I've I never seen it. <gasps> I'd never seen it either. I'd seen the original and then I'd seen, I was a fan of Young Lohan, like Mean Girls and stuff, but like, she deserved an Oscar for this movie. She uh, is unfucking believable yeah? in it. 
It's incredible. That's great. She does an English accent like better than most English people in this movie. <laughs> she's doing she's double duty. She's playing twins. That's great. It's also like just it's Nancy Myers. I know it's the the but like it, the broad strokes. Of do you know it's Nancy drama. Myers' first movie? Oh. And uh, and so the the dad beautiful Dennis, home in Napa. Dennis in Quaid is, yeah, he's a winery mm-hmm. in Napa. So That's it's good. like hello. <laughs> and then Natasha Richardson lives in like the perfect British townhome. Yeah, you know, with like a with like a quaint grandfather. R.I.P. Natasha Richardson. Truly. Yeah. The the other surprise for me is that uh, Dennis Quaid's housekeeper slash nanny for his Lohan twin uh-huh. is played by Lisa Ann Walter of Abbott Elementary. Oh, mm-hmm. who I didn't I. I didn't know that. That's great yeah. intel. Yeah. This is the most engaged Kai has been in our I love that movie so much. <laughs> so I wanted to go to summer camp like so bad after watching Did that you? movie. Did you? No. Oh my they God. Don't, it's like an East Coast summer camp kind of vibe. It's not really like a... Did you have a similar experience that when the West Coast twin shows up and they see that she's from California, they're like, do you live near stars in Hollywood? She's like, <laughs> no, I'm from Northern California. Was yeah. that you? Yeah. Was that basically. young Kaya? Yes. Um, that was great. But I did want to talk about, uh, I checked out the first episode of The New Look, uh-huh. which I don't think you did because I sort of warned you off of it. Uh, no, I mean, I'm going to check out the first episode, but I was like rolling. The other day I was like, You're rolling ro- I, was, I was starting to roll with, with Masters of the Air. And I was like, okay, right. I'm, I'm finally getting I, the rhythm here. I think that, you know, I only, I only saw the first and I will caveat this by saying you sh- one should not do this one should not judge things by one episode I think I feel pretty comfortable saying that this isn't necessarily for me okay so who, does it, who made it like so I know it's Apple Todd like, Kessler who is oh, one yeah, of the team damages. behind Damages yeah, and um, uh, Bloodline and the cast is outrageous the cast is outrageous it has Juliette Binoche who I love always in everything and she's amazing in this uh, as Coco Chanel your guy Ben Mendelsohn yeah Bloodline's Ben Mendelsohn John Malkovich, Maisie Williams, Arya Stark. She's she's very good. Mm-hmm. She looks really good in it. Um, I will say that. Do you want to tell people what it's about? Yes, this yeah. is about the differing choices made by and the ensuing uh, professional and personal collisions between famed French designers Coco Chanel, played by Juliette Binoche, and Christian Dior, played by Ben Mendelsohn, in the years of the German occupation. Mm-hmm. So this is something right up your alley. You yeah. love occupied it's, Europe. It's sort of masters of the era, Jace. Yeah. Well, it's below. Yeah. It's the people <laughs> sure who were not is. masters, but were on the ground. So ma- I, I, I gotta you, say, the masters of the air, yeah. p- pretty hard on Germany. You could think of these things happening, yeah. you know, above and below. It's an upstairs, downstairs, really. Sure. You could watch them both on Apple and you kind of get the whole picture. Um, the, I have two issues here that I think speak to something that I, I just want to flag as a concern for the Apple TV project as a whole. And we okay. do this sometimes. We're, we're, and one of the reasons we talk about this a lot, I think, is because Apple is relatively new and also one of the few financially robust players in Hollywood in 2024. Yeah, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about like trying to define the Apple aesthetic. And, and we're still trying to get our arms around it. And there are a lot of good things here, like people who made damages and Bloodline should get to make more TV shows. Ben Mendelsohn and Juliette Binoche should get to be the leads of television shows. Period pieces shouldn't be a dirty word. Filming on location in Europe, like this is all great. Uh, and I'm and I'm I'm pro. I think there's one thing that I can't get over, which is why I probably won't continue to watch the the show. Which is this is a show made for American television, although Apple is global, about French people in France, mm-hmm. cast with Americans, British actors, Australians like Mendelssohn, French actors. They all speak French like Pepe Le Pew. They all speak English like Pepe Le Pew. Oh yeah. The decision was made at some point early on 
that they would all speak heavily French-accented English. What would you prefer? This is I, I asked this because I was I, just yes. thinking about this mm-hmm. the other day. This actually is uh, uh, something that comes up in Shogun is yes. the way in which Portuguese is shown on well, screen, which is as English. And you, native Portuguese speaker. I can, I can speak... No Portuguese, so I'm I'm glad that you know it's mm. the half the show is in Japanese. There's about half yeah. that's like either in English because mm-hmm. of the English character speaking, or it's supposed to be Portuguese, but it's like Hunt for Red Octobered, so that it's like we're going to hear it as English, but it's be, it's Portuguese being spoken back. And okay, forth. so that's a little bit like I think, this. I think that's what it's. This like. is a this is not an easy thing. I'm being light about it or being a little glib. Like this is a this is a serious decision to be made, and there has been for for many years it was just simple. It's just everyone spoke English. And then, um, or everyone spoke English, but German people spoke English with English accents mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, the, they, Val- the Valkyrie thing, where it's just like, we're just going right. to cast Kenneth Branagh and Colin Firth and a bunch of these guys as and, Nazis. And yeah. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, we're, then there's the flip side of it, which is, you know, best uh, ex- exemplified by something like Pachinko, which, was, which is a story told in three languages accurately yes. and then the 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 as far as we know accurately and then the subtitles were in different colors to let the english readers of the subtitles know which was korean and which was japanese it's that's very i was gonna say that for me the thing that broke the kind of mm-hmm. my ability to go back like after inglorious bastards it's right. hard to go back right like after you see people where it's just like this guy's speaking french this guy's speaking yes. german then they switch and then, then you know it's hard to then go back to French-accented English. Right, and so Monsieur Spade, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I thought did a pretty good job. The main character is American. He learns French, but everyone makes fun of how bad it is. A lot of it is in French, but then sometimes they speak English to accommodate him. Okay, I believe it. I, I have never been drop-kicked out of something harder than when Juliette Binoche, a brilliant French actress who speaks perfect English and has won an Academy Award for speaking English, is doing her scenes, and she's great. And then Ben Mendelsohn, an Australian, is just like, the thing about couture is that it must be new. And I'm like, what are we doing here? That is not helping his performance. Maybe he thinks he's an actor, it's helping his performance. But then he's being interviewed by a French actress who is struggling with the English in, a, in the Sorbonne. Okay. It, I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm out. Okay. It's very confusing to me. The second thing that I was interested in about it that I think speaks to the larger Apple thing is that this is a show that is ostensibly about the development of French couture and, and visionary designers and what people looked like and what people wanted to look like and aspired to look like coming out of a very dark period of history. It is also a, you know, behind the scenes gripping uh, drama about the French resistance oh. and about col- Nazi collaborate. Coco Chanel is a, whether it's willing or unwilling or duped Nazi collaborator in a way that Dior was not. There's a lot of history there and it's based on a lot of books and reporting. I don't think limited series shows can be about as much as some of these people think they can be. Which is to say that I wonder sometimes if Apple's pocketbook dilutes the effectiveness of their art because they can say, sure, make it about everything, if that makes sense. There's a ton of money on the screen and a ton of money spent recreating Dior's fashion, but also flooding the streets of Paris with era-appropriate Nazis with machine guns. It's a lot of different things all at once when one or the other might have made for a more compelling show. I I have not given this this much thought, but let me ask you something. Yeah, Because I've been thinking about Masters of the Air in the same way, where I think that some of the things that are evident are they spent a ton of money on it. I, I want to even say that the CGI 
I've it has grown on me slash I've gotten used to it slash maybe I watched a screener of the first episode and mm-hmm. now that I'm watching them on Apple TV they it looks better I don't I don't know if there's been some sort of color correcting or finishing of that effects and stuff like that the one thing that I think is absent is a certain kind of interpersonal dramatic tension between the pilots so the, between the characters like generally speaking after mm-hmm. three or four hours like everybody gets along and also a kind of definition between character to character of like. Differences that are more than superficial. So, like, one guy might speak like a Damon Runyon character. That, that's my Barry Keoghan trying to be a New Yorker. That's good. Um, but it it there's, like, a kind of lack of um, individuality to the characters mm-hmm. that I think is noticeable. And I was trying to figure out why that is. And I was like, you know, what does this remind me of? And I was like, you know what it is? Reminds me of reading history books about World War II. Yes. And uh, I wonder whether or not Apple, especially with this show... Sounds like the new look. I wonder whether Manhunt, mm-hmm. for instance, the Abraham Lincoln assassination show that's coming soon, will have this same fate. Where it's like, you know what people really like reading? Historical nonfiction. Do you know what historical nonfiction doesn't really trouble you with that much? The interior lives of the people that they're writing about. They're because things. they're not, unless you have like the letters, it's like most historians are trying to sort of they can pathologize some of the behavior, but they can't really be inside of this person's head the way a fiction author has liberty to be like, I am going to tell you what Frank Bascom thinks about all the time if I'm Richard Ford, you know, yes. and he does for multiple novels. Multiple books, yes. Um, so I wonder whether that's like kind of the aim here. You know, it's like you're taking a time period or a uh, an industry or whatever that's incredibly interesting to people. You're essentially unadorned presenting a version of facts. Mm-hmm. You're you're sparing no expense None. in making it, and for a lot of folks, that might be enough. Yes, and I think that there's a too muchness that can then dilute the art. And you know, to have I, Christian Dior is a iconic figure and one who I frankly know almost nothing about, and I'm interested. Tell me more. But because of the nature of the show, within the first moments of meeting him, what he has to do is not just learn about his life or his character or his relationship to fashion. He's standing in a ration line explaining that everyone is doing badly during the war. And then he goes back to his apartment where his... In VO or these like expository scenes? No, this is a scene. And then he goes back to his apartment where his sister, played by Maisie Williams, is part of the resistance and they've just shot two German officers in the street. And What are we doing? This is so much of everything. I, I was... You know, I love to reference things that I hear on the Mark Maron podcast. And he had a great... By the way, just shout out. Divine Joy Randolph. She's just so great. I really hope she wins an Oscar. She's from Philly. I, a wonderful guest on this podcast. I would love on that podcast. I'd love for her to come on this one. Anyway, she's talking about something. Do you think she's probably getting tired of going on podcasts at this point? Yeah. <laughs> so we'll wait. We'll wait till it comes back around. Yeah. But she's talking about projects to Marin, about projects she'd more. she'd like to just deliver. She'd like to she'd like to she'd like to work on in the future, maybe develop for herself. Okay. And both of them are biopics. And she's talking about advice that was given to her on the set of Dolomite Is My Name, the movie from 2019. It was written, Eddie Murphy movie. It was written by the guys who are kind of like, they're the go-to guys for surprising biopics, Scott Alexander and Larry uh, Karaszewski. Yeah, who wrote OJ. They wrote the OJ series, yeah. but they did the Larry Flint movie. And and I think they did Man on the Moon. The, um, this is what they work with. And they were saying to her that like, you rarely are successful doing a cradle-to-grave bio movie. You generally choose a fraught moment mm-hmm. to tell their story, which is why, which I think was the best choice of, in some ways, of Maestro, even though I didn't agree with the movie so much. He, Bradley Cooper chose right. a thing. Right. Um, 
That's what's like, amazing about Ferrari, by the way. That's a good. You mean that's a good example? Incredible, because it's like the months uh, leading up to a big race that's going to define the the future of the company. Yeah. Right, and I just you just it, this is just a, another long way of saying that the dilution of what makes something unique or interesting is just so apparent when you have these unlimited opportunities to do all of everything. Mm-hmm. The I am not, and you can tell by my uh, uninteresting color story today, naturally drawn to stories about fashion. But I have been really interested in things about fashion designers if they are like Phantom Thread or certain seasons of Project Runway, right. certainly Project Runway Junior. Like I, I, you can make me care about it if you care about it. And I feel bummed that at least, and again, I, so I could watch four more episodes and be totally wrong. But because of the way the first episode was structured, I'm not inclined to do it. Yeah. That the camera seemed only passingly interested in the couture, the designs, and what story these individuals were telling through them, as opposed to them as unwitting pawns in the larger scope of history's grand game. Gotcha. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I completely... It sounds like we're actually talking about the same show, even though we're talking about two different shows. If we could do this week to week, we could cover so much more ground. <laughs> I have said to you before, we could do book reports, and you're like, it's always best when we're riffing together. Don't, first of all, do I sound like that? No, that's I, your text message tone. Batman voice? You yeah. read my texts like Will Arnett doing Lego Batman? <laughs> that's sick. I love that. Um. All right, so... We are since we're in the vein of of World War II, we could keep talking about Monsieur Spade, or we could switch. Okay, yeah, yeah. let's do a little Monsieur Spade, okay. French Monsieur Spade, and then we'll end with the big the big one. So I'll tell you this: mm-hmm. I went ahead and read reread because I think I read it when I was much younger. Mm-hmm. Red Harvest, which right. is the first Dashiell Hammett novel. Red Harvest is sick. Red Harvest it. is fucking sick. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is about a unnamed detective from San Francisco, the op, right? Who the Continental Op? Yeah. Who arrives in a town that. Sounds like Sacramento, or is like, you know... Bakersfield? Bakersfield, something like that. It's called Personville, but everybody calls it Poisonville. And the op, the detective, is initially brought there to uh, work with um, uh, the publisher of a newspaper. And then um, when this publisher is killed, he, for, for, for a while, he's investigating his death, but then goes on about a mission that is partially being paid for by this newspaper publisher's father, but also like is a personal mission that he mm-hmm. has decided to go on, which is to unravel this corrupt town. Mm-hmm. And the way he goes about doing this is dizzying because Hammett writes largely in huge chunks of dialogue. Um, it's very sparse. It's it's very imaginative for the reader because mm-hmm. there's very few details and then you'll just kind of like fill out the sort of back of the frame. But uh, one thing that really occurred to me was just how fucking zany it is. Like, hmm. it is crazy. Like, lots of people coming up to him and explaining to him exactly what he needs to know at that oh, very yeah. moment. Like, it's very, if you take away all the violence and all the hard-boiled dialogue, it is almost like a screwball comedy. Mm-hmm. And that popped up in my head because of watching the last few episodes of Mr. Spape, which kind of, uh, and this will be spoilers for the entire season. If you haven't seen it, you can just skip ahead to the Madam Web part or just replay the True Detective part because that was, you know. I thought that was good radio. That was good radio. Um, the end of this show is is almost like a screwball comedy in some ways in terms of its uh, plotting. You know, in terms of, and now this person showed up on the mm-hmm. bridge and now this person's here and you didn't know that. And like, there's an increasingly kind of supernatural mystical element to it. And it's, these are kind of elements to these kinds of stories that I think in my head, I'm like, this is about a detective who's going to get to the bottom of this shit. Yes. But in truth, 
a lot of these stories are pretty zany uh, and pretty funky. And so I wondered whether when I initially finished Monsieur Spade, I was like, what the fuck was that last mm-hmm. episode? And now I'm wondering whether or not it was kind of like a tribute to Hammett and a tribute to some of the mechanics I, of the storytelling of the source material. I think this is an interesting one to to discuss because whether you loved this show or disliked it, Scott Frank is at a point in his career, and he, you know, in collaboration with Tom Fontana, who's been doing it for years as well. I feel pretty confident that they did what they intended to do. I don't think, and again, maybe we'll get some inside tea, but I, it just feels like this was the show you wanted to make. They wrote this together. They got the funding. They made it. And this is what they wanted to do. This didn't get away from them, you know? And maybe that's not even a fair framing, but I do think the degree to which we try to cover both the content that we see and the industry, it's impossible for us not to sometimes either report on or respond to, or at least take into consideration the things that we hear about going on behind, you know, around, around behind the scenes of a show. An example of that would be two weeks ago when we were talking about the, I thought, sort of troubled fifth episode of Night Country, which we were like, two different writing teams getting credit yeah, for this, right. which is, you know, that's not the same as the two different writing teams getting credit for Madame, Madame Webb. I love Madame, which is a Monsieur Spade. This is hard to switch languages. I, I'm the problem. I'm Ben Mendelsohn. You should have saved that for oh, the transition to the Madame Webb conversation. That's why you do the transitions. Um... So, yes, and also, like you, I rewatched The Maltese Falcon uh, recently. Mm-hmm. I'm re- I'd never read the book, so I'm third of the way through the book again. You, I mean, have you seen John Huston's Instagram posts about Monsieur Spade? He's <laughs> furious. He's furious. I thought, well, I thought he had some valid criticisms, but the way that he delivered them, yeah. it's a little salty. Um, Sounds a lot like Gandalf. Do you think? <laughs> well, he voiced Gandalf in do, do, animated Lord of the Rings. No, no, I... Right. I thought it sounds a lot like uh, Noah Cross, oh, yeah. the old water baron yes. from Los Angeles. Should we just, we, what are we doing? This is the part of the show where we're just trying to d- defeat each other in John Houston references. He sounded like he named his daughter Angelica, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. You get it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you really look at Maltese Falcon, like, it's fucking, it's weird. It's also yeah, weird. It's fucking it's, weird. It's a bunch of weirdos walking into rooms and punching, drugging each other and then talking about it. Yeah. Like it, it is not, the, the Bogart's performance as Spade defined what a detective was for multiple generations, but his behavior in that movie in general has not defined what we think of yeah. as detective stories being. Um, but a lot of this though is us sort of talking around the fact that for three episodes. This, again, it's a six episode, which I'm beginning to think is a challenging number for a a season. Um, Three episodes of the show, I was absolutely intoxicated. I loved everything about it. I loved the surprising setting. I loved the the way that it was updating some ideas about the classic noir, but also just kind of celebrating them or, or twisting them, relocating them, seeing what roots that it could lay down. Clive Owen's performance was awesome. So many interesting characters in this menagerie. And then it started, then it kept going. And I was like, you know, re the Algerian war. I was a little bit like my cousin Vinny, like, you, oh, you were serious about that? Well, like, I, I think that what you're alluding to is this widening of the aperture that happens after the third episode, where I would not really describe the last three episodes as being about Sam Spade, which is he, he totally be- fine. He becomes, to a, a worrying degree, he becomes a supporting character 
And he reacts a lot always. Yeah. But almost incomprehensible connections, te- beyond tenuous connections to what's going on. From and the I think third that if, if you were going to make a two-hour movie called Mr. Spade about Sam Spade showing up in the south of France, you would have him in every shot. Right. And if you're going to make a six-hour show about this, maybe you're doing that because what you want to do is explore all these other characters. Now, I would argue that the engine of Dashiell Hammett's books Mm -hmm. and most good detective culture, like pop culture artifacts, is the perspective of the detective and Mm -hmm. their pursuit of whatever they're the constant. Yes. Now, you know, it's not always like that, but that is like at least true for Hammett's writing mm-hmm. and, and I think would make a very compelling detective series. It, it, it's Chandler too, and sometimes people conflate yeah. Hammett and Chandler since they're kind of the grandfathers of the form. Yeah, and I think that it's an interesting choice that they make to turn turn it from kind of like this straightforward small town corruption story that Spade is 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 unwinding to kind of an almost international borderline supernatural intrigue with like there's, hints of Agatha Christie. There's a magic boy yeah. who's basically taking the place of the Falcon in the sense that, that sort everybody of like a, is chasing an international MacGuffin that everybody's after. Um, but the boy has some like code breaking powers and the code has, and the boy has connections to Algeria, which casts, yeah. casts a shadow over everything. That's, that that's fine. And that's in keeping with it. And you know what else? I, I, I didn't even come here to bury the scene that I found kind of preposterous when it was unfolding, which is the um, Deus Ex Alfred Woodard, mm-hmm. which is instead of having any kind of like yeah. collision, we have Alfred Woodard showing up and saying, everybody sit down and then dictating whatever. Yeah, there's a huge have. shootout on a bridge and then Alfred Woodard, I'm, and I'm being serious. Like, and I think both of us were like, am I having, uh, am I on mushrooms when this yes. was happening? Alfred Woodard shows up and is like, I am from the UN. Yes. I, but I have like a small army with me and we're all going to go into this house and talk this out. And then all the rogues galleries in Spade sit there, listen to what she has to say. She lays it out and then a couple things happen, then it's over. And I think there's just, maybe this is, and I, I'd be curious, I, I know that we'll have a chance to talk to Scott at some point, whether it's about this project or the many things he has going on in, um, in development or even in production right now. But maybe this was, maybe this was the plan all, all along and okay but there were there was so much time spent with like jean pierre's traumatic memories which were beautifully filmed and often fascinating like the the that the whole the time when he's talking to the guy who has no who's lost his eyesight and that monologue is like seared into my brain that's beautiful filmmaking yeah. fascinating but i can't get over the simple fact that the first episode of the series introduces us to this version of Spade into this town that is haunted like a ghost by this bad actor, by Philippe Saint-André. And the first encounter he has is with Philippe's mother. He's bringing the person he believes to be Philippe's daughter back to this town. Philippe is a bad guy that has an effect or his hand on every single person that we meet uh, due to events in the past. And we see some of those events in the past. And we see Philippe a little bit in the past. And there's one scene midway through the season where Spade and Philippe sit down in the past. Mm-hmm. The only other time that they share the screen is when they are both spectators of Alfre Woodard's speech yes. before Philippe is arrested and carried away. I, that felt like storytelling. And Philippe mal- is basically like, ah, you got me dead to rights. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's honestly bizarre. And if it's in tribute to something, I'd love to hear the explanation of it. But I felt like we were sold a bill of goods here. Like it just felt like it did not Well, and then there's, I think that I didn't, the, the last, the sort of conclusion of this series is is definitely offbeat. 
I think a lot of a lot of detective fiction ends with like a character explaining everything, which so I'm not totally Always. against it. No, but there are some things in this show, uh, namely the um, George, the the male British spy. Oh Jesus! Suddenly having a long-standing sexually dynamic affair with the other Algerian sister who has just shown up the episode before and is is Philippe's lover. Mm-hmm. But they're like, they've clearly, not only are they having sex, but they're like, we've met like multiple times before and we'll are this, planning our future together. And that this whole thing is our play. We're, we're doing this. Yeah, but it, there's there's stuff like that. The, um, the, the whole, Brit, the British spies, no offense to those actors, they were pitched so comedically and they were so in a different show. It was preposterous in a different show, so that when he suddenly knows kung fu and defeats Spade in hand to hand combat, and then is also just an irresistible lover, yeah, international style, international loving. That's a whole different thing. Yeah, I, I read about it once in a magazine. Um, I, that that there's didn't, a, there's a whole subplot with Jean Pierre's dad shows up in like the fourth episode or the fifth episode, and it's like he hasn't really been mentioned before, but it's like Marguerite has like been. It's is this a was she seeing him during the war? Like, what, it, I, guys, is this? It, it it's not dissimilar to the conversation we've had had about Night Country in the sense of, and that we've been having across multiple shows and multiple formats. Which is, guys, is this a movie or a show? Well, is this so a the, so that novel or six. is it a short story? That goes to the six. I wonder whether or not six works for networks for some reason, but not for storytelling. Oh, I mean, net, when you say networks, you mean like they're willing to green light a six episode. Something about the economics of it right. or knowing it's going to be like a month and a half of real estate for them right. if they don't put it up as a binge. Um, maybe it's generally speaking, the amount of time it takes works really well for people like Clive Owen who are busy, you know, sure. or whatever it is. But uh, also, and again, we don't have any insight and into also, this. Yeah, and also but, you and I are Goldilocks and like when it's 10, it's like, did this need to be 10? No, no, and we, when it's three, it's like, why wasn't this five? No, we've so, shifted like, though. Yeah. Nothing was ever too short for a long time. Yeah. Everything was always too long. I mean, one of the main reasons for that was you get paid more if you make more episodes. I mean, that's a really strong reason to do more. Yeah. There was a time when I was talking about- the, Why do you think I'm still making the watch? Dude, we're finally getting that. <laughs> do we hit syndication when we I get know. to 2000? <laughs> It's going to be sick. Yeah. No, but like it goes on to AM radio across America. There was a time when I was developing Briar Patch and I was saying like, maybe we only need eight episodes to do this. And one of my EPs was like, do you want to know why we really need to do 10? And I was like, great. Yeah. Sounds good. And I ended up appreciating that. But yeah, like, but now we've gone so far in the other direction. I, the thing I was going to say, like, again, we don't know any of the actual details of this, but like. Scott Frank was on the show talking to us about um, Queen's Gambit mm-hmm. when he told us about this project. A lot of time passed, and then he did get to make it, which is awesome. AMC, co-pro with Canal Plus, like I, I, one gets the sense that these were the people who wanted to do it, and they were the only ones, which means that they set the terms of the debate. So maybe that affected things. Or maybe he'd come, he's going to come on in six months and be like, I pitched them a six-episode show, and we made a six-episode sure. show. Who knows? But... Yes, it, 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 it really is challenging for the audience to get its bearings and to understand the story that's being told to it because you do have room, you know, it's seemingly room for all this extra stuff, but we do have now a developed part of our TV watching brain that's like, you've given me these threads. I know we've only got a month left. You're going to braid them. There's going to be a knot at mm-hmm. some point. And with this show, kind of there wasn't. It was just kind of like a lot of maybe in tribute to the, those original Hammett things, it was kind of a hullabaloo. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a, a crazy thing happened and a collision of people and Spade is coughing a little bit and he's looking wry and he 
kind of puts the screws to Alfred Woodard's story a little bit at the end, and then he jumps in his pool. Yeah. And has Odd. a daughter. Odd. She was awesome. I would like to see more of this. Of those, I mean, and she just realizes she's his daughter? Off camp. Yeah. Or maybe she hears people explain it. Uh, I, I, I liked it very much. Yeah. I thought the ending was a bit daft. It was daft. I think it was a bit daft. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. From Monsieur Spade. Mm, here we go. To Madame Webb. God, you're good at this. Uh, you want to go first? I want to say. So, we went to see this movie in the movie theaters on Monday. Um, a holiday. I think we celebrated it in the best way possible. We, we went with uh, a friend of ours, friend of the show, person who makes TV, person who maybe made the show that's on Sick to Landing this week. And uh, uh, not, I saw it with Nick Pizzolatto separately. Then, yeah, you went to the yeah you went to the Alamo Draft House. <laughs> I went to the Ojai. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, I guess I want to start this way okay. by saying, life has been pretty good in my ivory tower. You know, I, I I step down every so often, but I don't go all the way down to the muck. I'm like, hmm, this bespoke television show about Sam Spade and France is. Not quite to my liking. It's a little lukewarm. I forgot mm-hmm. what true catastrophe looks like. Right. I forgot how bad things really can be. Sure. It was, above all, bracing. <laughs> it was like a slap in the face to remember that we are really capable of absolute disaster. Of sending a woman's mother to the Amazon where she was studying spiders, yeah. Yeah, we can really do that. <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to be able to do justice to how absolutely jaw-dropping this movie is. And one of the reasons for it, and one of the reasons why I almost celebrate it, not as some like future camp classic, although it might be, but because one of the things that the Marvel machine has done is that they have the money and the resources and the infrastructure to just keep pounding away at stuff until it's not catastrophically bad. It's just kind of neutral bad. Yes. Um, There have been a lot of bad Marvel movies recently. Nothing like this. Well, I think the crucial difference there is that Sony was not going to say, you guys need to reshoot the Tahar Rahim part of Madam Web. Madam Web. Among other parts, but yes. But that would have been a crucial fix would be like, this villain is does not work. Yes. You know, this villain is either completely spoilers for Madam Web. I don't know whether anybody has seen it. I just thought it was very interesting. This these are these Sony Spider-Man spin-off movies are supposed to be at least be budgeted around 60 to 80 million dollars. They're very profitable, I imagine generally speaking, like in terms of Venom at least. Well, Venom was. Um and actually I think internationally Morbius did okay. Right. But yeah, I don't think that anybody was like we have to protect the Madam Web IP and make sure we've set up Sydney Sweeney for future Spider-Girl movies. So let's get in here, delay the release, and reshoot parts of these, this movie. Because uh, w- like, if they did, that's even crazier to me if this is the version it, of, like, it's been reshot and retouched. I mean, they definitely... There's, like, 80% of Tahar Rahim's scenes are ADR'd. Like he's not speaking on camera. Like well, it cuts to it cuts to, away. It goes characters. over his yeah. shoulder. Yeah. But when he does speak, it's clearly been also ADR dubbed, whether by him or by someone else. That's almost the least of it. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Let, let's try to work some of so this. So let stuff me. Like, can I just give a general thing, really quick? Yeah. Okay. So there's this Ethan Hawke quote I really like, where he was talking about the making of Dead Poet Society, and he said that Peter Weir told him 
that to make something to go from good to great is basically the last turn of the screwdriver, mm. but it's the hardest turn. Mm-hmm. And I think you could reverse that and be like, to make something go from good or passable to shit is like also a little turn. And, you know, you don't even maybe know all the time that that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I had this really interesting experience when I was a kid where I went to a film workshop in Rockport, Maine. Um, really? Yeah, it was like a film summer camp. So I was like 13, 14 years old. And one of the seminars that we had was that we had the esteemed film editor, Ralph Rosenblum, come in. God damn. Let's do- and he edited Annie Hall. And like How his- are you still surprising me after all these years? Well, so here's what he did. Ralph Rosenblum worked on some of the great films of the last 40 years. Shows us real men. An action comedy with Jim Belushi and John Ritter. <laughs> do you remember this movie? No. 1987. Okay. It's about a really like shy retiring guy played by John Ritter. And one day like he gets pulled into like an international spy caper by Jim Belushi. Who's that sounds good. Spy. The sits us all down and he's like, here is the version of real men that I got. And it is the biggest piece of shit you've ever seen. Now, some of it was like the music cues were mm-hmm. missing or off, but it was like the rough cut mm-hmm. or the, the first version of it before they hired him to save the movie. Mm-hmm. And the difference between what yes. the first version was that we saw and the second version, because I even I was 13. I was like, we have to watch this movie twice. Like, <laughs> I like Jim Belushi as much as the next guy, but Jesus Christ. How much does he like then? Um, yeah. And I was, it was honestly one of like the, formative experiences of like watching TV and film because I I think I for the first time understood like how close we are to disaster all the time. This is true. And so when you're watching this movie you're like yo is does Tahar Rahim suck as an actor? Like no. We've seen a prophet. We've seen Last Panthers. Like you've seen him be amazing. I've seen him act in English pretty convincingly. Yeah. Sydney Sweeney Amazing in Euphoria. Dakota Johnson well, has contributed stuff to, like, I have, More than that, there's a scene in this movie at a barbecue where Mike Epps and Adam Scott, who are good, <laughs> they are good, yeah. are doing their fucking best to make it seem like these characters are human beings who yeah. have lived on Earth and eaten food before, and they're dying on the vine. It, it's like they're, watching... They're trying so hard. Yes. I would say it's like watching a porn movie where it's no, there's no sex. It's just guys talking yes. about their jobs. Yes. It's like, I'm a fireman. I'm a, I'm a paramedic. You're, you're going to burn those burgers. It, it, it is, it's shocking. And I think you're making a really good point, which is to say, when you ask how did something like this happen, what you have to remember is we're joining it now. Yeah. The people at Sony saw this movie continually over the last 18 months. Yeah. This is the version they were like, well, we've done all we can do and put into the world. That is, is yeah. truly terrifying. Now, I think it, Sean and Amanda had a pretty interesting conversation on the big picture about this that I wanted to ask you about. Right. Which is how much of your interpretation of the film or your experience of the mm. film is dictated by the fact that it has already gone supernova as a cult oh, disaster. Zero. Okay. I, because I... Because you can just I, judge I, every piece of art outside of its... It's one of my superpowers. Yeah. I can step outside of time, much like, um, much like Cassie Webb. No, I mean... When I'm sitting in a movie theater, there's a level of plausibility that I am assuming. Like, I sit there and I'm like, I've chosen to be here. I'm not rooting for catastrophe. I actually often don't contain the potential of, I didn't think it could be like this. I was so stunned because, again, just living my life not engaging with everything has allowed me to believe that the lowest 
like the worst thing you could do is not stick the landing of a six-part HBO miniseries. Right. Like this is where I'm existing. Right. You know, maybe I'm the problem because <laughs> of it. The, the thing about this that was so shocking was that it really is, and I want to talk about some of the specific things in it, of course, because they're really funny. But this really is, and I'm, maybe there's further to fall. But like to me, this is the like just the apotheosis of like the worst tendencies of the last 10 to 15 years of movie making. Speak on it. In that, why does this movie exist? Fundamentally, this movie exists because as we've reported before and people know, like we don't report anything we've talked about before, Sony has the rights to Spider-Man and all of the attendant spider characters. And as long as they keep developing these things, they don't go back to Marvel. And they've created this niche where they're like, well, we, we can make these movies. Our current deal means we can't put Spider-Man in them which is so ludicrously pushed to the edge in this film where a baby is born to oh, May yeah. Parker, but his name cannot be said on camera. <laughs> you shall not be named. So, that, so they have to do it for that reason. Then there's the cynicism of like, well, we should make a lady superhero. What's in the catalog? What do we have the potential to make here? And they find this obscure character who has powers that do not make sense without Spider-Man A. Mm-hmm. Do not translate to the screen because in the comics, she's an old um, paraplegic blind lady who can sometimes see scraps of the future and see to get to this character with these powers that don't translate to an action movie on the screen. We have to then engage with what is in my mind, the bottom of the barrel in like millennial Spider-Man storytelling, which takes away the central, the key interesting point of the character is just a, just a kid from Queens trying to make it. such a Spider-Man originalist, man. You say this every time. And then they're like, no, he's (laughs) part of like a series of spider totems. That has happened throughout history? What are we fucking doing? So all of that, okay. But a lot of these movies are cynical because we're just mining IP and we get it. And you can make you can make uh, something, you can make lemonade out of these lemons every so often, okay? You can make Craven out of this, Hunter. But yeah. <laughs> let's fucking hope. But I, I feel like people are not understanding this enough. This entire movie which costs 120 million, it's going to lose $100 million for Sony. This entire motion picture is a prologue for the movies they were hoping to make later. This movie introduces an uninteresting character played uninterestingly by Dakota Johnson for the sole purpose of gathering young ladies played by Sidney Sweeney, played by Isabella Merced and Celeste O'Connor who are all doing their best to become spider girls later. (laughs) I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a spider girl today. Yeah. They don't even become spider people in this movie. You turned to me at what you must have assumed was like, we can't have that much longer to go. Yes. And you were like, they're not even going to become superheroes in this movie. They are instead just They actually never exhibit any powers whatsoever. Or interest in having powers. Yeah. They're just ladies in half shirts in 2003. Yeah. Now. Which is to line up with the Spider-Man timeline. The Tom Holland Spider-Man timeline, which again, they are not allowed to reference. Right. They're just allowed to and be And which will soon be erased when they just jumble all these, like the chronology of Marvel anyway. I, I guess so. And yes. Tom Holland's probably like, I can't keep doing this. So, I, 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 even within this, I'm like, okay, even then, if you had a screenplay that evinced any familiarity with how humans behave and speak to each other, maybe you could get away with it. 
But we're sitting here, and like S.J. Clarkson, who's had a bad beat. I mean, she directed, she's been very successful directing for TV for many years and done things that we've liked and did like the Jessica Jones series, but also did the Game of Thrones spinoff that's been memory-holed and buried and now has made this. Shoots this movie like she's shooting United 93 with Paul Greengrass. I know. The the beginning is, I think it's supposed to be like Point Break or something, but yeah, I know what you mean. And then you end up with these long tracking shots where Dakota Johnson is like reaching for milk and pouring milk. And then she goes and gets a suitcase. She's like, middle of the day, time to pull out my suitcase of memories that my mother gave me from her time researching spiders in the Amazon. And then like, okay, we get it. Sometimes characters in movies look at pictures to remind themselves of things or to tell the audience things. But then they don't need to be like, I hope it was worth it, mom. There's also like researching spiders in the Amazon. stuff in this that's almost old school and like it feels like it was me. It actually feels like it was me when they were making like Elektra and, and like the bad Daredevil movies where... There's a whole scene where she's concussed and she shows up to this barbecue and is like, can I get a cold one? And they're like, no beer for you. Ma'am. Ma'am. You have a cold Pepsi. Yeah. A lot of Pepsi's Which, in this movie. There's so much Pepsi spawn, but like it is so funny because it's almost like there's really no reason that this woman, I mean, I guess you shouldn't drink beer when you're concussed, but you probably shouldn't also go to barbecues then. <laughs> and she's like, it's just like, why is she like, why does this scene exist other than to give her a Pepsi? Well, and also to give her some backstory, but like there's this long scene in the beginning where she's talking to Ben Parker, played by Adam Scott, and and they're like eating Chinese food and there's like four containers and they're all unruffled and the chopsticks are sticking out of them. And they're like, ah, you never do talk about your mother, Cassie. <laughs> I will soon become an uncle. Also, what could I be greater for you, me? Did you notice that like the noodles were like prop noodles? Because like they, there's yeah. no like... Like, it's not lo mein. It's just, like, white noodles. <laughs> like This is a movie where they're like, we got to get out of the city, girls. So she drives a stolen taxi into the deep woods. Uh-huh. And it's like, I'll be back in three hours. Jaunts back to Queens. But then she's like, there's an APB out from my arrest for, for kidnapping these girls. Mm-hmm. Aha. I will remove the license plates from this taxi cab, leave them on the ground near the taxi cab, and forget the fact that my taxi cab, which is stolen, has its numbers written all over it. <laughs> and then I will drive this taxi cab repeatedly, drive it into a diner to defeat a villain. And then when I realize I need to go to the Amazon to see where my mother died researching spiders, I drive this taxi, cab I drive this taxi to JFK, board a plane, though there is an arrest warrant out for me, vacation in the Amazon yes. with the English-speaking Peruvian spider people, have kind of like From a- Narcos. Kind of yeah. have a, but well, you appreciate that. Kind of yeah. have a mescaline experience, like becoming one with my mother in the past and then being like, aha, now I have other powers of some kind. Yeah. This is a movie that lingers on a puddle of amniotic fluid through a window. Multiple, like there's just a lot of discretion about this. To communicate what has happened. She's like, aha, a woman's water has broken in this room. Guys, it's so, it's so wild. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy because it's like, I, I, as, as our, as our film going, I, I, I would, I would just say like mm-hmm. the, the feeling is like, it's surprising that this one got through the bolt, like through the, the wall. It is, you know? it is, it is wild. It's actually proof of life in a way yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that they weren't able to quantum mania this into being just flat and okay. Um, but you the, know what? I actually almost get it. You know, I, I can get it, it that they're, they're not like, yeah, we could spend like 80 more million dollars on effects no. or like try to try to do another pass, but it's like, maybe this is just a turkey and we'll just do it. The funny thing is, or the crazy thing is, is this that like they have sent, 
they sent this entire cast out there to to the world to be like, you gotta gotta promote this movie. Put on these dresses that look like webs, ladies. Yeah. You'll never wear a spider costume. I'm again. actually legitimately curious to see because Sydney Sweeney's hosting Saturday Night Live in a yeah, couple weeks. Is she, is she gonna? Is she gonna be like, how about fucking Madam Web, man? There's these like, little things too, and I get like. <laughs> Sydney Sweeney. Can you fucking believe that movie? You get Sydney Sweeney in this movie. Like, she will do a Madam Web skit. She, she plays the shy, bookish one who wears a lot of clothes and sweats and is too, like, like good for, for stretching her range. But again, it's just like, what are we working with here? What are our choices? Yeah. The last thing we have to say is that the, the Tahar Rahim character, Ezekiel Sims. They got, they got to fucking, we got to make this right. Is so... Wild. So this is a character who, as mentioned before, was researching spiders in the Amazon with her mother mm-hmm. and stole the magic spider that could make him one of the floating spider people. Because he came from nothing. I guess he came from nothing. So now in the future, he's haunted. He keeps a spider in his, he's like a millionaire in New York. He's haunted by nightmares in which the spider ladies, who don't exist yet, kill him. And he hates that. They steal his spider and they kill him. So in order to stop this from happening, he must identify who they are and kill them first. And to do that, he uses the Patriot Act. To do that, he uses the Patriot Act, which is working for him and his tech associate, Sosha Mamet. <laughs> every, every time I know, we I'm say something, Kaya's head you look twitch. at Kaya. <laughs> Jesus. Like, she stopped recording 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and the Patriot Act, by the way, working to a, like an unprecedented degree to identify yes. Isabella Merced in a taxi but doesn't work to stop Cassie Webb from leaving the country and coming back again. Right. Uh, so his plan is to identify them now because 10 years in the future when they're spider girls, but no, are he doesn't kill know him. when. Well, He's no, like, she it ages could be the future. No, no, but Sosha's like, if it's these people, it looks about, it looks like you're 10 years too soon because I've drawn sketches. She's also an incredible courtroom sketch artist of your dreams and they look younger than that. So at this point, an ordinary supervillain's like sick. I've got 10 years unlimited surveillance technology and by the way the ability to immediately stop people's hearts by touching them do you know can I also just mention since yes. we're just fully spoiling this yes. the sickest part of the movie yeah. is that when we meet Tahar Rahim's character in New York City he is attending an opera yeah. with Jill Hennessy that, that's my that was my dream when I moved to New and York and Jill Hennessy is a CIA agent well she's like the administrator of like, the Patriot yeah, she's Act. like a like security admin for the yes. CIA who is going who is at, at the opera, yes. single, yes. gets picked up by Taharim, sleeps with him, and then he paralyzes her in exchange for her password, Password, which gives him, personally, the Access Patriot to Act. to the tra- Patriot Act, yeah. I want to just harp on the fact that he can kill anyone by touching them because I feel like in a city like New York, with 10 years to spare and correct facial ID of your future murderers who are, I want to stress this again, high school children whose idea of staying out of sight is wearing half shirts and dancing on the table at a diner. To Britney Spears, yeah. You could probably come up with a way to just brush past them and thus end their lives. Like, as someone who lived in New York in 2003, brushing into people was just kind of, that was the price of the ticket. (laughs) That was the vibe. That was Electroclash writ large. Okay? That's what we were doing. That was plant bar. Yes. (laughs) You're like, who else is in this bathroom? So... (laughs) Instead, though, his plan is to see them all together on at Grand Central Station, uh-huh. show up barefoot. And I think then, even Zosha Mamet's like, they all happen to be together. He's at like, the great. Same time. I can live the rest of my 10 years going to Electro Class shows. Have you guys heard of Stella Star? <laughs> yeah. That's going to be a scene. Can't wait for Lynn Sanity to happen. He goes there 
And when he's thwarted in his first attempt to murder them by touching them, he changes in to his janky off-brand Spider-Man suit for a second pass. Right. Yeah. I just feel like he needed an ops guy. It's dumpuary. Uh, and I, you know, I watched The Beekeeper. I talked about that on the big picture. I really enjoyed myself. There was something uh much more light on its feet about the beekeeper, even though it was kind of about QAnon. Uh and um I think the problem I had with Madam Wood ultimately was that the 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 middle hour of it is like truly it's long. You just feel yourself getting older, and that's that's like a big crime of of a film when you're just like it can't be bad and boring, you know. Yeah, but that uh, fireworks factory is a death trap. That is. Hey, it, it was great it, talking to you today. You too. No zins today. No, I you want to pop I, one now. No, I I was I wanted can, to take this seriously. I didn't want to have a heart attack. Can I at the end of this podcast? Because I know Kai has assured me that everyone listens all the way through to the end. So this is the best time oh, you want to, plug, to do it. Stick the landing. Yeah, we, just because I didn't get a chance. The, the leftovers is up this with week Mina. with Mina, good friend of the pod, good friend of ours, Mina Kimes. Um, the first listener generated one because the first episode went up and she texted and was like, "Can I do the leftovers?" I was like, "Yes, yes, you can." Really a pleasure to do the podcast with her, but also to revisit a show that is even more incredible, I thought, in retrospect, despite my, my still have my misgivings about the first season. I also just want to say, if there's anyone, if anyone still listening who's interested in that podcast project, yes, we have not done a lot of the more obvious ones. That was always the plan. We are not doing Lost. We're not doing The Sopranos. We're not doing Seinfeld. I like how you don't this tweet, first. but now you tweet at the end of pods where you're like, I safer. need to address people. No, no, no. Because I think that I've, I've even people in my life have been like, oh, so when so are when you doing, doing Breaking Bad? Yeah. This one. The first 10 episodes, we're going to, we're trying to do a mix of things that are like expected and also surprising that are going to get good conversations and we're going to get to the more contentious ones later on. Okay. You want to be on it sometime? I'm recording one with you soon. We don't have to, we don't have to play you know, three-card Monty with our listeners. I'm re- should we tell them what we're doing? No. Okay. We'll play two-card Monty. Okay. We'll tell them once we've recorded it. That's right. what I'm saying. I, I, I don't like to jinx it. No, you're right. Uh, we were produced today by Kaya McMullen, who showed incredible patience mm-hmm. with this long and winding conversation. Are you going to see Madam Webb now? Uh, yeah, you guys really sold it. Do you, did you feel left out that we didn't include you? I know it was Wellness Week and it was a holiday. Yeah, I don't know why Damon got the invite and not me. That's that is that is true. Next time you can you can you're definitely welcome. Great, thank you. And we'll you buy so you popcorn. We will be back on. Monday, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Play three card Monty. Well, Don't it's kind commit. Of like, I'm like, what else is there to talk about? We hit everything. We really did too much today, didn't we? Yeah. Kaya, can we do part one and part two and take, <laughs> take off next week? Uh, we'll talk to you guys on Monday. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.